Now, last week, I shared with you door number one or door number two. We studied the book of Genesis chapter 36. Do you remember what was behind door number one? Okay, I was the only one here last Sunday and I spoke to myself. <laughs> door number one, what? Okay, some of them were half awake. That's door number two. Door number one was what? Your slaves, your poor, your wanderers, your generation will die off. Door number two, you own the land. You are, your, your descendants are chiefs and kings. You will be successful. You will be prosperous. But then, finally in door number one, after all of those negatives from an earthly perspective, you have the Lord Jesus Christ. From door number two, after all those successes, all those chiefs and kings, the Bible declares the line of Esau, and do not be like Esau, a godless man. So door number one or door number two? We studied the book of Genesis. The book of beginnings. And we've shared with you about the four great events. We've shared with you about four great people. We've studied Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And now we embark on Genesis chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50. Don't worry. We're not going to do all 13 chapters today. I know you still want to rest and have lunch and enjoy your Sunday. Abraham, he was the pioneer of our faith. He had Isaac, and Isaac had two sons. The elder one, Esau. The younger one, Jacob. And while they were being brought into this world, Jacob was trying to pull at the heel of Esau. Why? Because in their culture, the eldest receives the birthright. The eldest born child is the one that receives the birthright. So Jacob was trying to pull Esau so that he would be born first, so that he would receive the birthright. And we've been studying what happened to Jacob, how he deceived with the connivance of his own mother, Rebekah, how he deceived his father, Isaac. So Jacob, the word Jacob, the name Jacob means supplanter. It means grabber. So he was trying to grab the birthright. And he succeeded by grabbing the birthright through deceit. The mother, Rebekah, got the skin and put it on his son. And when Isaac, being old and weak in his eyes, he felt, oh, this is my son Esau. Because Esau was described as being hairy, while Isaac was smooth skin. Esau was a hunter, but, Isaac, uh, but Jacob decided to stay at home. And who was the favorite of the mother? Jacob. Who was the favorite 
of the father Esau don't play favorites you have more than one child don't play favorites it is a recipe for disaster we've studied the life of Jacob we've studied the life the genealogy especially of Esau and at the end of his life the Bible tells him he is a godless person you like to follow Esau you like that your generation will be declared godless do you like it that when you're finally laid to rest and your tombstone says here is a man godless in his generation I hope we don't follow the example of Esau this morning we begin to study the life of Jacob and we begin in chapter 37 I'm sorry the life of Joseph here are the children of who's this who are these these are the children of Jacob by Leah again Jacob the deceiver was deceived by his father-in-law Laban it was Rachel that he loved and he worked seven years to get married to Rachel and then when he woke up after the ceremony it was Leah so by Leah they had Reuben Simeon Levi Judah by Bilhah Dan Naphtali by Zilpha Gad Asher again by Leah Issachar and Zebulun but God blessed Rachel God blessed her womb God opened up her womb and she gave birth to Joseph and after Joseph when Rachel was about to die during her birth she gave birth to Benjamin they wanted to name him Ben-Oni the son of sorrow because as Rachel was giving birth that was her last but then Jacob intervened no he will not be called son of sorrow he shall be called son of my right hand we study Joseph and from the walk through the Bible we have a snapshot of Genesis chapter 37 all the way through Genesis 50 Joseph and his family in chapter 37 and 50 Genesis 39 Joseph and his works Genesis 39 again his choices Genesis 40 his perspective Genesis 41 1 to 40 his nation same chapter his success Genesis 42 to 45 his heart and finally in Genesis 50 his legacy I'm just simply entitled this morning's message Genesis 37 a story of faith now if you notice that there are dots there I made it into some kind of an acrostic I actually picked this up from Pastor Vince Burke the title only faith forsaking all I trust him forsaking all I trust him who is that him God 
Now, why is it important that we live by faith? Well, yes, the Bible says that the righteous will live by faith. But why is faith important? Here is what Hebrews 11 verse 1 tells us about what faith is. Can we all read this, please? Now, faith... I highlighted it for you in yellow. Assurance. You are sure of it. Right? But you're still hoping for it. Your conviction. You're standing firm. On what? On things that have not yet happened. In things you have not yet seen. Right? And it takes faith. And how, you, how will you and I be able to exercise assurance for the things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen? We can exercise faith if we realize the triangle of God's blessings. It begins with God, His Word, His promises. You believe them by faith. The assurance of things hoped for the certainty or the conviction of things not seen. So why can you believe? Because the Word of God says so. And if you really believe, what will you do? You will act. You will obey. You see, the world is like this chart. You and I have certain expectations. But you and I also have certain realities. The gap between your expectation and your reality is your what? Your disappointment. That is where your faith is tested. If your expectation and your reality are perfectly matched, there's no disappointment. But what is the reality? They don't match. And because they don't match, that is the area of disappointment. And that is the area that you will be tested. And that also, my friends, is the area that you will not only be tested by God, but you can also be tempted by the Holy Spirit. Especially if you're obeying God. If you're not obeying God, it's much less of a problem, right? But if you're obeying God, the tendency is this. God, I'm already obeying you. I attend Sunday service. I read my Bible. I pray. I go to the group. Why is this happening to me? Has that happened to you? You feel your God blindsided you? And this is not what you expected? from a life of following the Lord Jesus Christ? God seemingly throws you a curveball and you're disappointed. And God forbid, you might even lose your faith. This morning, we study Genesis 37, a life of faith. Forsaking all, I trust him. We all know this, I believe. Some of us have this as our life verse. 
Can we recite Romans 8.28 please? Do you say faith in that verse? Where is faith? I get the same reaction always. When there is a question and they don't know, they look at the door, the, the, the ceiling, they look at the paint, they look at the floor. Remember, what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. Where is it in Romans chapter 8.28? It's right there. It's right in front of you. And we know. And we know. What? That in all things, God works together for good. For whom? For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Not every good thing happens to every good Christian. You agree? If you believe yourself to be a good follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you expect to be blessed, right? But sometimes, it not always happens the way you think. I have asked this person for an interview. I wanted her to be interviewed before when I preached on compromise. When the title of the message was Deadly Compromise. Sister Tess, can you come up here? This is like uh, Channel 7 News. Come. Come here. Can you please welcome our Sister Tess Vera? Oh, wait. She's uh, embarrassed. Uh, what is your name? Teresa Bejerano. Speak to the mic. Speak. Teresa Bejerano. There you go. Uh, are you married? Yes. To Ray Bejerano. Ray Bejerano. You have children? Yes, three. Okay. Diane, Arlene, and Sophia. There you go. Are you working? No. Did you used to work before? Yes. What happened? I resign. Ah, you must, Brother Ray, you must be so rich. You can tell your wife to resign. No. And, uh, no? Oh. Why, why did you resign? Uh, I was put in a compromising position that uh, I decided not to be part of any criminal activities. If I understand you right, your employer wanted you to, s to do something that was not completely above board and not completely legal. Is that correct? Yes. And when you did not agree to participate in that, be even being an officer in that company, what did you do? Uh, he asked me to do something, and I know it's not right. And? And I told him I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to do it. So he threatened me. And he threatened me three times, and I said, no, I'm not going to do it. So he said, I'm paying you. You'll do whatever I want you to do. I said, no. And then I left. When you left, what did you decide to do? I, I, I prayed. I said, Lord, you know I need this job. I'm, and I'm being paid. I have a good job. I have good salary and everything. But at the end of the day, I said, Lord, I've been praying for so long that, you know, 
I think God caused those things to happen because He wants me to be, not be there anymore. And up to now, I'm waiting for His promise. I don't worry. I don't. I trust in Him fully that whatever happens now, the next job that I will be getting is the right job that I've been praying for. So you tendered your resignation? Yes. Uh, is it now more financially better for you as a family now that you have lost your job? I do not know how to put it. I don't have any money. I'm not receiving anything. But before when I'm getting a good salary, I worry a lot. I'm stressed out. But right now, I don't have anything. I don't worry. Not because my husband is rich or whatever, but God provides. So it's okay that you lose it's your job? It's okay. I don't feel the loss of my salary. God always provides, meets every, all the needs. So despite of your situation in the office, in the circumstances around it, that your boss even threatened you with, uh, with suing you, I understand. Are you at peace with that? I'm at peace because I know God, God's plan for me is the perfect plan. So I don't worry in anything. When, like, I'm a human being. Sometimes I tend to worry, but I cry. Especially, I tell God, God, hold me because I cannot do it on my own. Whatever plan you have for me now, I do not understand. But I know it will be the best plan that I could have in my life. I don't want to plan anymore because my plan always palpak. So, <laughs> so I said, God, I trust in you 100% because I know nobody can plan better for me than you. Amen? Amen? That's Andre Hurst. unrehearsed why would you in your human economy want to quit a high paying job who will know who will know that you're signing off on this or you're signing off on that your boss is going to cover your back anyway because he's been doing all of this not so legal stuff why can you quit your job? Brother Ray is going to have a little more difficulty. But why? Because it is better to please God than to please men. Because Romans 8.28 says, For we know that in all things God works together for good. To those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. The righteous shall live by faith. We shall not walk by sight. We will live by faith. Is it difficult? It's almost impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen? Joseph 
lived a life of faith. So let's read about his life. But before we continue, let's offer this time to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God Almighty, we thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, that we can look to your word. May your word pierce our heart, give us understanding and wisdom how to live our life, that our lives will be lives of faith, faith in you and in your word. For we don't know what the future holds, Lord God, but we know that you are the God who holds our future. So we thank you, Lord God. Be pleased with the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember the two brothers. One was Jacob. One was Esau. Jacob, because his economy, his flocks were blessed, he prospered. What did he decide to do? He left. He left his brother. And he continued to focus on his business. And he was blessed. And his lineage, his genealogy was chiefs and kings. However, in Genesis chapter 37, what do we read? Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. Jacob stayed. Jacob stayed with his father. He stayed with his father until his father died. Jacob and Esau buried them. Esau left. But Jacob stayed. And then, these are the records of the generations of jo Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Here you're introduced, we are introduced to Joseph. And how old is Joseph when he is introduced to us? 17 years old. He is considered a youth. And what is he doing? He is playing video games. He's watching telenovela. The price is right. What is he doing? He's working. At 17, he is already hard at work. He is pasturing the flock of his father, right? While he was still a youth. Now, what was he doing? He was pasturing the flock with his brothers. Even if it was only young, even only at 17. Now, what was he doing in the last line of Genesis 37, verse 2? And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. So, what was Joseph doing? He was giving a report about his brothers to their father. Yes? And what kind of report was it? A bad report. Now, if you are in a position, a supervisory position, you do ratings, right? So sometimes you, the bad worker, you really have to rate badly. Yes or no? Yes, unless of course he's paying you. Okay. You're supposed to have an objective report. Now, look at what it says. Joseph brought back a bad report about his brothers to their father. That word bad report, that word bad, in the Hebrew is the word ra. It means a mischievous or evil report. In other words, Joseph gave a not so honest report 
about his brothers to their father. You see, many times when we think about Joseph, oh, Joseph the dreamer. Oh, Joseph the prince of Egypt. But he is not such a good brother. He is a mischievous, lying brother. He gave a negative report. It's not necessarily true. So what is he doing? He's putting down his brothers and whom he's building up. Joseph, the dreamer, the prince of Egypt, was a bad boy. He gave, in the NASB, in other translations, he gave an evil report. Do you have more than one child? And you have one child? Nothing good to say about the sibling. All negative report. You don't know anymore if it's true or not. He was working with his brothers in the field, and he gave an evil report about them to their father. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. Remember, who did Jacob really whom did Jacob really love? Huh? Rachel. He had 10 other children before Joseph was born. But Joseph is his firstborn to Rachel, whom he loved. And what does the Bible tell us? Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons. You have favorites? I have three children. I play favorites. They are all my favorites. My favorite firstborn my favorite secondborn, my favorite daughter, because I only have one daughter. Don't play favorites. Look at what he did. Because he was, Joseph was the one born in his old age, Jacob played favorites. He loved Joseph more than all the other children. And what did he do to prove it? He gave him a cloak, a tunic, of many colors. I don't know what the other 11 had. Maybe sackcloth. But Joseph, to Joseph, his favorite, he gave a multicolored tunic. If you are one of the other 11, how would you feel? How would you feel? You have two you are two brothers or two sisters. When you go shopping, you go to South Coast Plaza. You know what I'm talking about. And then when is the other's turn? Okay, Goodwill. <laughs> Salvation Army. Eh? I told you, favoritism is a recipe for disaster. Why? God warns against it. Look at Ephesians 6. Masters do the same thing to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no what? 
there is no partiality with him with god there is no favoritism sister tess maybe you should show this to your to your former boss there's no partiality with god that's why god says all of us have sinned and fall short of his glory that's why James tells us, if you keep the whole law and stumble at just one point, you are guilty of all. Why? Because with God, there is no partiality. With God, there is no favoritism. But God, I only have one sin. He has 20 million. You are still a sinner. Verse 4. His brother saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. So they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. You see the result? It's obvious. How? He has a colored tunic. We have whatever is left. And what was the result? His 11 other brothers hated him. And his other brothers could not even speak to him on friendly terms. You have relatives with whom you don't talk to? Hmm. You're not on friendly terms? When he or she enters the room, you exit? And you say that you and this other sibling of yours, you're also Christian? You just can't stand each other being in the same room? That favoritism by Jacob towards Joseph brewed hatred in the son of his other, in the lives of his other sons. And they would not even speak to him on friendly terms. Verse 5. Joseph had a dream. Do you dream? When you dream, it means you sleep well. If you don't dream, it means your your sleep your sleeping is very light. That's why when you wake up, you still feel tired. He had a dream. And when he told his brothers, what did he do? What was the reaction of the brothers? They hated him even more. How many times have we already heard the word hate? They hated him. They hated him even more. Now what was his dream about? He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered down and bowed down to my sheaf. So, it's like this. Whose sheaf was in the middle? Standing erect. Whose were those bowing down to the one in the middle? All his other brothers. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. How many times already did you hear the word hate? Three. Did they hate him? Yes. Why? The Bible says they hated him. 
Look at what they said. Are you really going to reign over us? Number what? Joseph is number what? Number 11. In 12. I'm number 7 of 9. Right? I have nine. I have 8 brothers and sisters who are older than me. Right? What did these elder siblings tell Joseph? Are you going... Uh, really? Are you going to reign over us? How can that be? Because that was already prophesied time and time again. Genesis 25:23. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Who is the older? Esau. Who is the younger? Jacob. Who is the older? Reuben, Issachar, and all those. And according to the dream, they're all going to serve whom? Joseph. Really? Are you going to reign over us? Now he had still another dream. And related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have still another dream. Hmm. If you're the brother, what are you thinking about Joseph already? Huh. You already dreamt about us bowing down to you? You have a sibling. You know that your sibling hates you. You shared with them your dream. Okay? You shared with them your dream. They're already criticizing you for, for, for your dream that you shared with them. Now you want to share them another dream? Something's probably wrong with you. So he shared them another dream. And behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Hello? First is the sheaves. And then now, the sun and the moon and creation were bowing down to him. So, again, and look, it so happens that there are 11 stars. How many other brothers does he have? Oh, coincidence, coincidence. Really? Not only that, not only did he tell that to his brothers, what else did he do? He related to his father, to his brothers. His father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow, your, bow ourselves down before you to the ground? So if we look at this picture, who is the father, who is the mother, you have the 11 brothers right there. So the father, Jacob, had an idea. You mean to say, even me and your mom are going to bow down to you? Something's wrong with you, man. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. In other words, his father was thinking about it. Now what happened? Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers, the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, 
and he came to Shechem. Now, I was not there. If I was the father of Joseph, and he's stirring up all of this anger between him and his siblings, and he's even telling me that I will also, as his father and his mother, will bow down to him, I will also send him to the field. I think you better take a vacation somewhere else. Because these dreams of yours, they're not, it doesn't make sense. So Joseph goes. He said, I will go. Very obedient son. Very schemy, giving evil report, having all kinds of these weird dreams. But I will go. And what was he supposed to do? Go to his brothers, check up on them, and bring back a report. Now, if that really happened as it would happen, what kind of report will Joseph bring back to his father again? Dad, they're not doing anything. They're just playing chess. The other one is just playing video games. They're not really taking care of the plot. Possible or not? Possible. But he's very obedient. So he goes. And then a man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, What are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Wandering. Be out of your way. Astray. Or in other words, he got lost. But who is this man? Why did he encounter this man? Joseph, the dreamer, right? And then I look at this verse, wondering. He must be even daydreaming. And in his daydreaming, maybe he, that's how he got lost. But then what happened? This man. He encountered this man. And this man knows exactly where his brothers were. My friends, I submit to you, this is not an accident. This is God's divine appointment. This is the grace of God. For if he did not encounter this man, how would he find his brothers? Yes? But God allowed him to encounter this man. In his wandering, in his being lost, he encountered this man. Then the man said, they have moved from here. I heard them. Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So the report of this man whom he had encountered while he was wandering, while he was getting lost, was correct. He went to Dothan, and what did he do? He found his brothers. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They really hated this guy, huh? They wanted to kill him. Who else in our recent studies wanted to kill his brother? Esau swore that when the days of mourning for our fathers shall have passed, I shall kill my brother, for he stole my birthright. 
when his own brothers saw him, they plotted to kill him and said to one another, here comes the dreamer. You know, sometimes when God speaks to you to your dreams, sometimes it is also wise to what? Meditate on it. Validate it through the Word of God. Pray over it. Because sometimes, the, you know, when you share the dream, sometimes it does not get appreciated. So sometimes, silence is also good. The ministry of silence. Keep quiet sometimes. Because he already told them one dream. The brothers already complained. He shared with them a second dream. That even his father and mother already reacted. What do you mean to say? We're all going to bow down to you? So because of that hatred that brewed in the hearts of his brothers, when they saw him, opportunity knocks. You play Monopoly? You get the card? Opportunity knocks. Here is an opportunity to kill our brother. This dreamer who tells us we are going to serve him. Huh. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits and we will say, a wild beast devoured him and let us see what will become of his dreams. Huh. Dream, huh? But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness. But do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. Now why do I highlight Reuben? Of all his brothers, I submit to you, Reuben. Reuben would have been the first one to initiate the plan to kill Joseph. Why? First Chronicles chapter 5. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph. The sons of Israel, so that he is not enrolled in the genealogy according to the birth. Right. Who had the motive to kill Joseph? Reuben. Why? My birthright was given to this guy. My inheritance was given to this guy. And he wants me to serve him? We better just kill him. But because of the grace of God, and the presence of God in the life of Joseph, Reuben, the very one who had a motive, prevented his other brothers from killing Joseph. Let's not kill him. Shed no blood. Do not put, do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers. They stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. And they took him and threw him into the pit. 
Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Have you ever fallen into a deep hole? Maybe in the Philippines? Because you know, during the flood, they steal the manhole cover. You might be walking along and then all of a sudden, because the, the manhole is open and then you just sink in. Now, if you are put into a pit, it's dark. It's not, perhaps not pretty big. Yes? You're alone. Yes? Where will you look? You have no other place to look but up. Sometimes, God allows us to fall into a deep, dark pit. And you have no one else and nothing else to do except what? To look up. Your own brothers, your own flesh and blood put you in this pit. Now, if you're in that pit, if you're in that situation, how do you pray? How would you pray? Lord, get me out of this pit. Or, Lord, what can I get out of this situation? What are you trying to teach me, Lord? How would you pray if you were in Joseph's shoes? Just get rid of the problem? Or, Lord, are you telling me or teaching me something? Then they sat down to eat a meal. As they raised their eyes, they looked, behold, the caravan of Ishmaelites. Who are the Ishmaelites? A Abraham and Isaac. When God told Abraham, you're going to be a father of a great nation. How old was Abraham? Very old. So his wife Sarah came up with a plan. Maybe God wants you to have relations with our maid Hagar. And they had relations. And the firstborn of Abraham by the maidservant Hagar was his son Ishmael. So are they related? They're related. Now the Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with camels bearing aromatic gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. So where were they going? From Gilead to Egypt. What did they do? Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Reuben, Reuben started the idea. Let's not kill him. Judah comes to his rescue. His other brothers listened to Judah. So what did they do? Then some Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus, they brought Joseph into Egypt. Did they kill him? No. Did they lay a hand on him? No. What did they do? They sold him. And where was he going? To Egypt. 
now it's beginning to unfold, right? The bigger picture about why is Joseph called the prince of Egypt? How did he get to Egypt anyway? Because his own brothers sold him into slavery. And these traders, these Midianite traders, were on their way to Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his garments. When you read in the Bible that they tore their garments, it means they are mourning. Okay? They are mourning. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not here. As for me, where am I to go? He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not here. As for me, where am I to go? He was the eldest, remember? Whom would his father hold to account as to where the other siblings are? What is he going to say? So he took Joseph's tunics and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in blood. And they sent the varicolored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. What did they do? They lied. Deceived. Isn't that the name of Jacob? Isn't this the very way that he, in connivance with his mother, Rebecca, deceived Isaac, their father? They got some animal skin and put it on his arm. And when Jacob, being weak in sight, is this you, my son? Is this you, Esau? Yes, dad. Smells like But it feels like Esau, but it smells like Jacob. But because of the deception, Jacob, the younger, was the one who received the blessing, albeit by deceit. You see, Eastern religion calls it what? Karma. The Bible in Galatians says, you will reap what you sow. Jacob deceived his father Isaac. Now, his very own children are deceiving him. Parents, our children, disciples, your disciples, they follow us. You don't need to tell them anything. The moment they see you do it, they assume that it is correct. They follow you. This is a messed up family. Started with deceit. And the deceit is now being passed on to the next generation. By the deceit that Jacob acquired his birthright, now he is being deceived by his own sons. We found this. Please examine it to see whether this is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. 
a wild beast had devoured him. Joseph was, has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his sons, for his son many days. Did he believe the report? There's evidence. This is the tunic. Oh, there's animal blood. Oh, surely he must have been torn to pieces by animals. So what did he do? He mourned. He was deceived. He mourned for his son many days. And his mourning was very, very deep. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Going down to Sheol means I'm going to die. Because I'm in deep grief over my son. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar. Meaning the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar. Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. How can you exercise faith? How can you say, I forsake all? Forsaking all, I trust in him if this is your situation. If you are Jacob, you still have 11 other sons. But you believe the report that your favorite Joseph is now dead. How would you feel? You see, many times, some of us judge God based on your present circumstances. Okay? Some of us judge God based on our circumstances. We must learn to judge the circumstances based on on who God is. Do you get the difference? Some judge God based on the circumstance. What we should do is judge the circumstance based on who God is. Is God faithful? Is God going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear? No. Is God going to give a way out while you, uh, while you undergo the temptation? Yes. But what do we do? Sometimes when we are short-sighted, what do we do? We judge God instead of the circumstance. That's why I ask you, what would your prayer be? Get me out of the pit? Or God, are you trying to tell me something? God, are you trying to get my attention? God, is there something good going to come out of this? Or, oh God, you lied. You told me you're going to bless me. Oh God, you're unfaithful. Oh God, you're like this, you're like that. Don't judge God through your circumstances. Judge your circumstances through who God is. God made the promise to Abraham. He will fulfill it. He passed on the promise to Isaac. He will fulfill it. He promised, he passed on the blessing from Isaac to Jacob, he will fulfill it. Don't trust your circumstance. Trust God. Some of us are living in chapter 37, but the last chapters of your life are not yet 
written. This is your present. You're here and now. But God is in the business of molding you to be more and more like Christ. The story of your life is not yet finished. Don't judge God. If you are like Joseph, you're in the pit. You have been sold to slavery. You're in adverse circumstance. Don't judge God based on your present circumstances. Judge your circumstances based on whom you know God to be. That's a world of difference, brothers and sisters. And as C.S. Lewis said, when you and I enter heaven, you will discover that your life on earth was just chapter 1. Your 80 or 90 or maybe your 100 years of life on this earth compared to eternity might just be chapter 1 or maybe intro, maybe preface. But you've already discounted God because of your present circumstances. You're already projecting that because this is happening, God is no good. God does not care, etc., etc., etc. You have already made judgment about who God is because of your present circumstance. How can you exercise faith? They could not, Joseph could not trust his brothers. They put him into that pit. Who else will you trust if you cannot trust your own flesh and blood? Forsaking all. I trust Him. Don't discount God's movement in your life just because you're going to some adversity. Look at this guy. At seven, his family was forced out of home. He had to work. At nine, his mother died. At 22, he lost his job as a store clerk and wasn't able to go to school. At 23, he went into debt to become a partner in a small store. At 26, his business partner died and he was left with a huge debt. At 28, a marriage proposal was declined after courting a girl for four years. At 37, he was elected to Congress on his third try. Two years later, he was not re-elected. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he failed as a candidate for vice president. At 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost again. At 51, he was elected the president of the United States of America. Did his life have a lot of adversity and pain and failure and suffering? Yes. Who is him? President Abraham Lincoln. Don't judge God based on your present circumstances. It is very easy as we asked them, as we prayed for them last Sunday, the family of our brother Aaron, who lost his father and his brother late last year. He went home to the Philippines to have an operation. Now he's diagnosed with cancer. Now they're doing all kinds of stuff. And Lord, guys, we prayed for his mother, right? But the Lord decided otherwise. His mother passed away. Their grandparents 
passed away yesterday. Why can Rael still lead us in worship by playing the piano? Why can Jared still play the guitar and worship the Lord? Because forsaking all, I trust Him. Friends, if you are in the pit, the only way that you can look is up. If you look down, you're looking at your circumstances. Look up. Exercise faith. Forsaking all. I trust God. Chapter 7 is just the beginning of the story of, J of Joseph. If we end here, it's easy to judge God, but it doesn't end here. Same with us. God is not yet through with us. Don't judge God based on your present circumstances. Judge your present circumstances based on who God is. Don't trust in men. Don't trust in chariots. Trust in God. God Almighty, we come to you now, Lord God, asking you for forgiveness for the times that we have misjudged you, for taking our circumstances and using our circumstances to judge you, sometimes even to curse you, sometimes even to reject you. God, will you forgive us for not looking to you, for taking our eyes away from you. Teach us, Lord, how to forsake this world, everyone and everything in it, and trust you and you alone. For you are a good and gracious God who will not let our feet stumble, who has promised to save our souls through your Son, Jesus Christ, who has promised that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, whom you have deposited your Holy Spirit into as a deposit guaranteeing the redemption of those who belong to you. Children who have fallen, who have sinned, who have disobeyed you, but yet your love remains constant. Your grace remains supreme. And one day, Lord, you have promised to remove us from this earthly body, to bring us to everlasting joy and peace and holiness with Jesus Christ and all the saints who have gone before us in that place called heaven. How, how, O oh God, can we say that you are not for us? How can we say, O oh God, that you have allowed us to go through these things that are happening and forget that you are our God? Will you forgive us, Lord? And will you teach us to walk by faith and not by sight? For this is our prayer 
in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Now, for your discussion uh, questions, as we usually do, just two questions. What situation are you facing today that is testing your faith in God? And secondly, what can you do to strengthen your faith in God? So please uh, disperse to your uh, breakout discussion groups. And for the benefit of those who are here for the first time, we do not pass the offering plate in CF. Offering box at the back where you are free to give as the Lord has impressed upon your heart to give. So break into your discussion groups right now. We'll keep these questions up on the screen. And may the rest of you have a blessed Sunday. God bless.